0: The idea came about in 2015. We were making home batches in the garage at a five gallon level. And we really thought, you know, what would be the perfect product for this Massachusetts market? And when we started looking into different flavors, it was really obvious and apparent to us that cranberry was the right flavor to go with. You know, cranberry is Massachusetts' official state fruit. It's been here ever since Thanksgiving and well before. And really, you know, we wanted to bring together this new kind of innovative product with a classic Massachusetts fruit um, and kind of market this product towards millennials but really it just started with a five gallon batch in the garage during
1: thanksgiving of 2015 welcome to babson built where we showcase babson founders and entrepreneurs people who have tried failed and tried again they are the change makers the disruptors the hustlers and the builders these are their stories This week on Babson Built, we're talking with Briggs Original founder Michael Curson about how he took a cranberry vodka seltzer created in his friend's garage and distributed it throughout New England. A lot of founders can point to defining moments in their lives uh, where they really felt like they were becoming an entrepreneur. When when did you first feel like you were an entrepreneur?
0: Uh, You know, it dates back before I actually got to Babson College. Um, You know, I had been involved in around other people who had started companies. Um, And the first opportunity that I I had to really um, bring some life to my own entrepreneurial project was uh, with a man by the name of Carlos Guerrero. So basically, my parents were getting their house painted. uh, And I was walking outside one day on my way to class. And basically I struck up a conversation and it got to a point where basically he told me that he had been working for contractors for years. It was him and his team of uh, his father, his brothers, um, and all of them, you know, kind of got together and they worked on painting projects, acquired all of their jobs through these contractors who were taking 30% off the top. Um, And basically I had this idea, like, I know a lot of people in the area uh, have a lot of family friends and connections and you know, I thought to myself, maybe there'd be an, an ability or possibility that I could go out and actually uh, interact and, and open doors for his painting company uh, and take a smaller cut off of the top, so that he's not getting, you know, that thirty percent taken off. Uh, so we ended up forming forming a business relationship. Basically, he started his own company rather than working under contractors um, throughout the summer of, I believe, it was two thousand and fifteen. We acquired multiple painting jobs as well as home improvement jobs. Basically put him on Craigslist, got him some internet advertising, uh, which brought in some business as well as opened a bunch of doors. And basically he really started his own company at that time. And I was kind of working in the sales and marketing side uh, had also helped him, you know, set up his website and things of that nature. But really, you know, it, it got his own feet on the ground. Uh, by the end of the summer, he actually ended up purchasing a home out in Holden, Massachusetts. We ended up flipping that house in uh, about six months. He did the entire renovation of the inside and outside of the house and you know, at that point in time, I was just applying to Babson College. And that was really the ground that I stood on when I was applying here, um, kind of as the entrepreneurial experience and, and project that i had taken on. And once I got into Babson College, I really, for the first semester and a half, I really focused purely on, purely on my studies.
1: Mm-hmm. And so when did you kind of make this shift from, hey, I'm really focused on my studies, I'm a great student, to, I'm actually going to focus on building out this business.
0: Sure. So my first semester at Babson, I really wanted to prove to myself that uh, you know I could handle the workload. Um, obviously, it's a, a rigorous course load, and I wanted to really prove to myself that I could handle it. It was after my first semester that my good childhood friend Neil Quigley. And I decided that we were going to bring a venture forward. He's been brewing since high school. We used to brew together as more of the official taster. But at this point in time, we were thinking that we weren't going to start a beer company because there was a much more exciting opportunity uh, in front of us that we could take advantage of. Alcoholic seltzer, a relatively new type of alcohol, was what we ended up deciding upon.
1: And how did you actually decide on a specific flavor and formula? Did you test it out on friends and family? What was that process like? Uh,
0: So basically, the idea came about in 2015. Uh, We were making home batches in the garage at a five-gallon level. Um, And we really thought, you know, what would be the perfect product for this Massachusetts market? Um, And when we started looking into different flavors, it was really obvious and apparent to us that cranberry was the right flavor to go with. Um, You know, Cranberry is Massachusetts' official state fruit. It's been here ever since Thanksgiving and well before. And really, you know, we wanted to bring together this new kind of innovative product with a classic Massachusetts fruit um, and kind of market this product towards millennials. But really, it just started with a five-gallon batch in the garage during Thanksgiving of 2015.
1: Briggs Original is a pretty novel concept. How would you pitch Briggs to someone who's never heard of it?
0: Sure. So Briggs is a hard seltzer company. And if you don't know what hard seltzer is because it's a very new category, hard seltzer is made from a combination of a fermented simple sugar base. So the simple sugar ferments out to no residuals and what you get is a low-calorie, low-carb, gluten-free, flavor-neutral alcoholic base. Uh, and then a lot of companies will add natural or artificial flavors to that base, um, but we're actually the only company that adds 100% real fruit, so we use real Massachusetts cranberries. So what you get uh, with Briggs Original is the the only 100% real fruit hard seltzer. We take that clean, flavor-neutral, gluten-free uh, alcohol base, and then we add real Massachusetts cranberries, uh, a, touch of, a touch of lime, and a touch of cane sugar, And it really creates this very light, refreshing product that also has this nice,
1: clean fruit juice flavor. And what were the stages that you went through in deciding to pursue your own venture?
0: Sure. So it really started as creating this product first. um, And we kind of just had some fun making it. We were like, hey, this is pretty tasty. Um, And I was at Babson at the time and was really itching for a project to get into and wanted that real-life, real-world entrepreneurial experience and uh, you know neil was working in the beverage industry in boston and we were both kind of itching to do our own thing and and really build a project uh and basically we we started by making the first batch 5 gallons at a time um and it kind of progressed from there we said you know what would we actually need to do to get this product you know produced in massachusetts what does the licensing and regulation scene look like we started doing some research on the aabc which is the uh the ABCC, excuse me, which is the Alcohol Bureau Control Commission. And, you know, we really started moving from there. We talked to some lawyers and attorneys about where we'd actually be able to produce a product like this. And it kind of developed from there. Uh, we started building out a business plan, but it was one day at a time. And we were honing in on the product at the same time that we were creating this business plan. And, you know, we were talking to a lot of people. And I think that that's the one thing that is is probably the most important for a young entrepreneur starting a new project is to talk to a lot of people in the industry, talk to a lot of people who have experience, start building those connections and building the network. And, and when we first started, it was a lot of reaching out, asking for advice. And those conversations and advice really turned into working relationships. So, you know, just to give you an example, uh, there's a, a gentleman by the name of Hans Peter Schaefer. He's a former senior global supply chain at Miller Corps. And I got into contact with him really to talk about creating our own supply chain and, and how that would work and what type of models we would need to use for that and and really, you know, looking for advice on, on the experiences that he's had in his professional career. And so he started giving me some advice. We started bouncing back and forth ideas. And eventually, you know, we had been talking maybe once a month, and then it turned into once every couple of weeks, and then it ended up turning into a couple times a week. And at that point, uh, he basically told me, you know, I'd be interested in investing in this venture. It seems very interesting to me. You know, it seems like you guys are progressing very well. And he had uh, a gentleman by the name of Sammy Zakut, who does a lot of his personal investing with Hans Peter. Um, and basically, set us up and said, you know, if you can convince Sammy Zakut that this is a good thing to invest in, the two of us will step in and become your lead investors, and um, you'll kind of be able to progress with the knowledge that you've got two industry professionals working with you. And um, that was something that was very exciting to us, and something that happened a lot across a lot of the different aspects of formation of the business. So when it came to production. Uh, we weren't interested in creating our own production facility. The the high-risk capital was just too much for us to digest at the time. And basically, we ended up getting set up with uh, Dana Masterpolo, who's a Babson MBA. And she really was, again, someone that I reached out to for advice. Um, and looking to kind of scope out the scene in Massachusetts. And it really turned into a working relationship over time. And uh, they decided that they were actually interested in bringing us into their facility uh, to create our product and get a, get our product on the market. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the connection building and network building is really the, the key towards starting a new venture, in my opinion.
1: Every entrepreneur starts somewhere. Are you looking for your beginning? The Blank Center for Entrepreneurship is where Babson's emerging entrepreneurs connect with the events, workshops, mentoring, and competitions that they need to build their businesses. This summer, join the top student teams from Babson, Wellesley College, and Olin College of Engineering and accelerate your venture in the Blank Center's Intensive Summer Venture Program. Applications open Monday, February 4th for this summer's cohort. To learn more, please visit ww.abson.edu sVP when you started out, did you ever think i'm going to be getting some outside capital for this business isn 't it amazing to you that you 've progressed so far with that having raised a number of rounds now
0: sure yeah when we first started the company. It was pretty apparent to us that we would need to take in some outside capital. It's just a pretty expensive space to get into. You have a lot of upfront costs with packaging materials and raw materials and licensing uh, and attorney fees. And it was pretty apparent to us that we were going to need some outside capital, rather a significant amount of outside capital. And that was definitely a daunting task when we first started the company. You know, Two, two 21-year-olds starting an alcohol company, the way that it all really started was, like I said, with this gentleman, Hans-Peter Schaefer, um, started out rather adversarially and turned into kind of an investment relationship. And once we were able to secure the investment from Sammy and Hans-Peter, it really allowed us to to have that backing and use that weight uh, to, to bring in other investors. Um, you know, when we were able to tell people we've brought in a significant portion of this round, it really instilled the confidence in other people to follow suit and in raising money, especially as a young entrepreneur with a new venture, it's really the snowball effect of being able to get that first investment, leverage the first investment instill confidence in others and, and bring other people and involve other people in the round. And we're actually going into our second round of funding now. We just kicked it off a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it's kind of the same thing. You know, we're out right now. We've, we're obviously talking with our current investors, strategizing on Syndicating the round, one of our current investors is going to be syndicating the round. But again, it comes down to that snowball effect, where you need to bring in, you know, uh, that first, you know, thirty percent of the round before you really start seeing everyone else kind of trying to hop in and become involved as well. Um, so, you know, that that first thirty percent is always the most challenging part of, of raising outside capital.
1: How do you manage this all this workload that you now have? You're you're currently building a business, and you're you know, managing these relationships with very high profile investors.
0: Yeah, I mean, so it's kind of all in one. And as a, as a, you know, founder of a small company, you have to wear a lot of hats. And that's kind of just the name of the game is being able to handle a lot of different aspects of the project and the business, um, and be able to balance them. It's definitely a lot of work. There's ebbs and flows, though. So there's times where it's extremely busy, there's no time off. And then there's other times where you're really just waiting on a lot of people to get back to you and waiting on a lot of information. So you kind of see this, this pull and push where, you know, you do as much as you can in the times where there is seemingly not that much to do. And then you know obviously, there's times where just an absolute mountain of work comes in front of you and you really just have to grind your way through it.
1: Briggs original comes in some really beautiful packaging at What's your packaging process like?
0: Sure. So like I said before, we're uh, co-packed at Bantam cider in Somerville. So our product is is made at their facility and basically we contract them to make our product. We bring in the the raw materials. And their their labor and staff creates the product for us based off of the speculation uh, based off of the formulations that we've given them. Once the product is fermented out and the the beverage is final, uh, it then goes into the canning process. Which basically uh, a mobile canner called Iron Heart comes in uh, for one day. They set up their mobile canning line, and the product that's sitting in the tank basically gets taken out and filled into these cans. We run anywhere between. Uh, Ten and twenty thousand cans on these on these runs, and we do a run just about once a month over the summer and just about once every other month on the off season.
1: How did you go about getting your product into the cans? What was the evolution of the whole packing process?
0: Sure, so I mean, in the beginning, we were creating five gallon batches at home in the garage, um, and basically that was you know us going to the brew store and getting the yeast, et cetera, getting all the raw materials and making everything on a very small scale. The, the difficult part was scaling from the five gallon batch to the you know two thousand gallon batch. Um, you know things are very different when you're dealing with that large of a scale, you know temperature control and and just control in general is much more difficult and in a, in a larger scale, and it's, it's sometimes hard to realize how many changes you're going to see when you move from a 5-gallon to 2,000-gallon scale or, or really just any small-scale to larger-scale operation.
1: A lot of startups face the classic chicken-and-the-egg problem. It's really hard to sell the stores if you aren't already in stores. But you've had a lot of success getting your product into stores, and I was wondering what your secret is.
0: The way that it started was... You know it's very important to have distribution in the alcohol space. Whether you're self-distributing and have a plan to do that, or whether you're bringing in a, a large a large distributor in the space, we were never really set up to self-distribute. So we we partnered with Martinetti Companies, which is one of the most prominent liquor distributors in the New England area. But this was really important to us. Finding a distributor was really important in a space like hard seltzer to a very new space, uh, something that is exciting to the consumers. And we kind of took this angle of being the only local company making a product like this, um, and that really helped us get in the door at Martinetti's. But you'll see with a lot of new beer companies and startup beverage companies, they end up self-distributing off the bat to prove that there is demand for their product, and then they'll sign with a distributor once they've proven that demand, or they'll build out their own self-distribution operation.
1: How are you looking to expand in the next year or so? What are your big plans?
0: First of all you know we're we're only in ma- only sold in Massachusetts, mostly eastern Massachusetts. Uh, we're in about one hundred and fifty stores right now, which is about seven percent of the off premise retail liquor store locations in Massachusetts. Um, we're looking to expand upon that next spring and summer greatly. Um, You know, we are in those key places like the greater Boston area, Cape Cod, Martha's Vineyard, Nantucket. Um, But there's a lot of density that we have to cover. And um, so we're going to be filling in those gaps. um, And we're also going to be expanding, you know, into the rest of Massachusetts market as well. Uh, And and in terms of longer term expansion, we're going to be looking into deep, deep drill dives, deep dive drill, deep drill dives into, you know, Rhode Island, uh, Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire. There's a lot of good markets out there. And we want to make sure that we're building nucleuses, uh, nuclei, you know, around the around New England.
1: You're currently finishing your undergrad at Babson while building Briggs. What are some of the big challenges that you faced during this time?
0: There's always a lot of challenges with startups. Uh, I'd say one of the biggest challenges for us is Consumer education and getting people to know about our product. Um, we're a relatively new company. We've been on the market for about six months now. Um, and it's just very difficult to get people to know about your product. We don't have a, a massive marketing budget behind us. Um, and we're competing against a lot of large corporations in the space. That being said, um, we've kind of tackled that by uh, doing a bunch of in-store tastings. So we'll set up a demo. Um, We'll be giving out free samples at liquor stores and really converting those into sales and making personal connections with the consumers. But on a macro level, uh, very difficult to get that consumer education. It's something that we kind of chip away at one day at a time with the overarching goal of of hopefully in the near future, you know, making this a well-known and established brand, at least in the Massachusetts and New England market.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's Babson Built, where we showcase Babson entrepreneurs and founders. If you have a second, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. We take feedback seriously here at Babson Built, and it helps other listeners find us. If you know a Babson entrepreneur who should be featured, email us at babsonbuilt at gmail.com.